Constructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. To the war room, everybody. This is Bill Evans. I'm down here in sunny Gainesville, Georgia, and on the line. I've got two good brothers, Jordan Wilson from Haymarket, Virginia, Northern Virginia area, uh, outskirts of uh, Mordor on the Potomac. <coughs> and we've got and we've got Jason Garwood soon to leave the Wolverine State and head uh, over to the Old Dominion to ramrod a new reconstructionist work in that area so brothers welcome to the war room well thank you bill uh and and this is jordan and just so you know uh, we we consider maryland to be mordor and comparatively virginia is the shire but it's it's still all it's still all babylon (laughs) you live in an area that probably has more federal agents per square mile than any place on the planet so (laughs) we've got them surrounded yeah, you can advance in any direction, right? <laughs> We've got the right where we want them. That's our mantra. <laughs> well, Jordan, you uh, early on caught my attention and a lot of other people who may listen to this podcast when you created the uh, Reconstructionist Assemble uh, Facebook group. And uh you want to tell us a little bit about that and how that's going and maybe give it a plug and our, uh, a mild rebuke to anybody who's not uh gotten uh, uh their name in the, in the hat yeah yeah if if you are a reconstructionist and you're not yet in the now called recon action network then go ahead and and get yourself in there um yeah so uh number it's you know mother uh, invention is the mother of necessity necessity the mother of invention the other way around um that is definitely the case here so i'm basically here feeling like a lone ranger reconstructionist in the northern virginia area um, back in 2014-15 and um, needed to, you know, try and, and get into contact with other Reconstructionists to to uh, strategize, to, to get together in communities and, and to take action. And uh, unfortunately, I had no knowledge of any around me. So just through um, looking online a lot on Facebook and some other areas, uh, getting in touch with some abolitionists in the area, um, was able to, to get in contact with a couple. But what dawned on me is that this is, I'm sure, happening all around the country as uh, we're shaking off the dust of uh, dispensationalism, uh, and as Gary Gamar would say, and we were in, in, in becoming epistemologically self-conscious. A lot of folks are coming into Reconstructionism, a lot through the work of uh, Recon Radio, of course. Um, but there's a lot for a lot of them. There's essentially no community that's already existed in, in where they live, and so the whole goal of the Recon Action Network is to put together a map so that folks can put themselves on the map, um, know where each other are, and, and if they're you know driving through or, or coming through, you know they can they can also uh, fellowship with those uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, but specifically in the area that they're in, just to be able to get uh, together with each other, take action, and 
and um, and and hopefully glorify God in, in what they're doing. Uh, and I can, I can I can say that no one has probably benefited from the from the uh, that Facebook group any more than me. Uh, yeah. You know, I've I, I've made a, a habit of trying to hook up with people as I've traveled around. Um, it wasn't too long ago, I think right about the time you created that Facebook group, that you were inquiring about other parts of the country to relocate. Presumably, your your occupation allows you affords you some flexibility in that respect. That's obviously not the case with everyone. Yeah. Um, so you have located, uh, I guess, as a result of people reaching out to you, you have evidently assembled a motley crew of of uh, <laughs> no no resemblance to the to the heavy metal group, um, uh, a small band of of um, of brothers, families there. I think you mentioned that yep. there were somewhere upwards of nine or ten families that possibly could be. Uh, counted on to boister this ecclesi- what are you calling it? Are you calling it an ecclesiastical community or a, a Christian social order or what you had it, you know. Yeah, have, I mean, you what, have, have you named what you're doing? I mean that's gonna be I think uh Jason at some point is gonna address that, so I'll leave that for him. But just in terms of you know, how we all uh or how many families we have, it's basically in the Northern Virginia Reconstructionist group there's uh, essentially 10 families, and out of that, we're looking at a subset of that who's going to join uh, us in our new plant that we call we call it. So, um, Jason, I don't know if you want to give any color commentary there. Well, yeah, it's definitely an uh, alternative movement. I mean, it's, a, it's meant to be the assembly of the way, and certainly we have our distinctives and, and those things. We can get into that later, but... Yeah, we're, we're planting a, a community, essentially, uh, an assembly, uh, a group of committed, you know, people ready to take the land, so to speak. Well, no, we don't want to despise small beginnings, and you know, you've got, you know, you've got uh, some some mature believers, and of course, you've got the Great Commission and the Dominion Mandate, which is one and the same. So, uh, you know, I, I, you can't fail. And you know, we were talking. I was. At, with George Grant, then we were talking about prayer and said, "What would you, what would you be praying for if you knew that you could not be refused, that you would not be refused anything you asked?" So, you know, and that's what we need to do. We need to attempt great things for God, expect great things of God. In the words of William Carey, uh, Jason, you're you uh, were presumably are you a native of uh, Michigan? Yes, born and raised. Yep. Okay. Now you uh, you. Did your love affair with uh, your fellowship there in, in Cairo, did that run out of steam, or was this just a, a clear call of God, or was there any – you mentioned something. What, what, what was the dynamics of, 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 first of all, what you had going on there, what you were able to accomplish in your, in your call there in Michigan? Let's talk about that, what you've been doing. You're not coming out of a – you're not coming out of nowhere. You have a track record. And why don't you introduce uh, our listeners to yourself by way of giving a little bit about your own journey, if you will. Yeah. Um, I'll try to keep that in a nutshell, of course. We, uh, well, I was born and raised in southern Michigan and really at an early age, grew up in the church at an early age, felt the, felt the call to ministry just 
loved, began to love the Word of God and wanted to teach it and learn more. And I, I really developed an insatiable appetite for theology, for doctrine. Now, I, I did grow up a dispensationalist, so it took me a while to kind of shed those things. Uh, but I ended up moving to Pennsylvania uh, just a few, well, it was about 15 years ago, about well, 13 years ago. And that's where I met my wife. Her name is Mary. She's from she's from Hershey, Pennsylvania. And so we met out there. I went out there to go to Bible college and seminary. And so at that point, I was I developed a more post millennial outlook, and and I certainly began to understand Reformed theology better. I, I had heard of it, but I didn't know much about it. So I had a really transformational process there, and spent some time with my brother-in-law. He's a church planter in Philadelphia, and. Uh, you know, been around church plants in various capacities, kind of residential, or excuse me, more like an intern type capacity. Ended up going to Michigan to become an executive pastor. Well, when I came to Michigan, uh, that church is called Callwood Church. Um, there was a transition with the other guy that hired me, the, the pastor at the time. And so within a couple of months, I found myself being the lead pastor of a fairly larger church in the area, a very rural area. And so that's kind of where my recon journey began. I started to, you know, understand a little bit more about Post Mill and, and flush that out. And um, all of that kind of developed at once, even understanding abolitionism and, and the need to be in the fight. <clears throat> and so... During that time, my theology changed and developed quite a bit, and, and we were here serving, um, preaching week in, week out, um, trying to be involved in Saginaw and in Flint with the abortion mill there, <clears throat> preaching the gospel. So, yeah, it really just was, all of this came as really a clear call. Um, Jordan and I have been friends for three or four years now, uh, and just ha- having, you know, basically talked, <laughs> you know, all the time, chatting through Facebook and and uh, those types of things, and and so that that friendship was kindled, and and uh, basically my wife and I both said, hey, I, I think this is what God wants us to do. I think we need to take this next step in in uh, developing basically not just a Christian reconstruction theology, but a, a practice too. Now, so would you say that with the work that Callwood, <clears throat> uh, you? you they weren't left without leadership, or they are. Are they are they now in search of another pastor, or are were you able to re- train up your own replacement? They they are searching for for another pastor right now. Um, they have call it has um, elders in place. I mean, they, they have those structures in place to kind of help with the transition. And so, yeah, my, my last Sunday there was September third, and so we are in the middle of transitioning to Northern Virginia. Um, but, but yeah, they're they're um, they're also in a denomination that's always able to kind of utilize in times like this, where they can get help. And and so I'm excited for Callwood. I'm excited for their future. Uh, they, you know, really one of one of the elders is a, is a friend of mine. Well, they all are, but one of them especially. We've had a nice conversation about seeing this as a send out, a send off. Mm-hmm. Um, sending sending us out with a blessing to say, hey, let's let's do this. Uh, the now, when you go to uh, now, do you are you um, do you have are you, are you going to be bivocational? Are you are you be a tent maker, or are you going to be supported wholly by the love offerings and our salary paid by the families there in Virginia? 
Um, probably initially will be I'll be doing more bivocational. Yeah. Okay. What's your background? What's your your occupational background? Maybe well, I've done, I've done it all, Bill. <laughs> I was like, in case we have a headhunter in the audience, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, I've done manufacturing, uh, retail, customer service. I've done office. I've done professor. I've, I've taught at a Bible school in Philly. Um, mm-hmm. Social work. I've been involved in a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. Don't be modest, Jason. You have a PhD. He has a PhD. Well, why did you just well, say so? Well, that's a PhD, but you know who's counting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so what? Um, I guess the question everybody wants to know is, what does a what does a Christian reconstructionist a, a, a confessionally, or you know, they're, in other words, they're now there's different there's different uh, thoughts on labels or no labels. It's kind of like you know, caffeinated or decaffeinated. You know, it's are are, are you know, some would say the labels can be can be good shortcuts to help people explain your positions. Others can say they can be real impediments to building bridges and reaching out. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? You know, I, I'm not – some people do shy away to do that from the labels. I don't mind the labels because ultimately, like, we're not going to shy away with what we believe and, and what we think and how we're going to live. And so we don't necessarily – you know, we're not going to just flaunt that, like, get a, you know, get a tattoo that says, I'm a Christian Reconstructionist. Um, <laughs> I think – I've already got that trademark. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the labels are fine. Ultimately, it's not about what the label is. It's what is the person, what does the person believe? What is, what is their theology? What do they, what do they actually think about something, you know? And, um, now, have you, have you guys, uh, have you guys sort of laid out a, a plan of attack, so to speak, or a battle plan? And, uh, I, I mean, I'm curious, and it might be an interesting, <laughs> might be an interesting, uh, podcast just to go over, you know, your flow chart or your mental map, your mind map, whatever you've done where you brainstorm together and begin to think through and flesh out on paper, well, lay out on paper what this all is going to look like, what's it going to entail. That was sort of where I was going before I got sidetracked with the label question, which I thought would would be good fodder for something, but you didn't you didn't take the bait. So let's go on to the next question. <laughs> and that is just what does what's what what does a Christian Reconstructionist Fellowship uh, look like? By the way, I insist that you follow William Tyndale's model and refer to it as assembly or congregation and not a church. Uh, because... <laughs> but anyway, oh I... no, it's too late. We already have the logo. <laughs> what what is the yeah, give us the name and tell us what it's gonna look like. Sure. Well we're calling it Cross and Crown Church. Uh but what we mean by that is certainly what you were getting at with regard to the assembly. Um so it, it's a training ground. We are we are uh we are interested in equipping people and so one of the things we say that our purpose is is to equip people to press the crown rights of King Jesus into all areas of life. So shorthand all of Christ for all of life. So we want to make sure that that's central, that's our focus. 
Jesus is king. He's on the throne. Um, and all, all the nations belong to him. So all institutions need to bow before him, essentially. Um, so as far as strategy, Bill, I mean, and Jordan, feel free to jump in too, but one of the things that we kind of worked through at the very beginning of this was sometimes the strategies can be built on, you know, they can be built on programs or activities and things like that. We want to build it on principles, typical principles. And so on our website, we talk about, excuse me, self-government, family government, church government, civil government, and kind of each one of those spheres has something or several things that will work out of it. So we want people to have, you know, individual purpose for the kingdom of God, you know, the, the right and duty of private judgment, personal holiness, you know, study of scripture and application of scripture, obviously prayer, the most foundational thing. Uh, we want to have a proper theology of work. And, and so that's, we want to kind of start with that individual, the individual self-government, and then kind of branch out from there. So each sphere has those things. So we're, we're doing a little pitch, too, because, I mean, it may very well be. I, one of the most common questions that sort of gets floated around, and I'm sure is one of the motivations for Jordan's initial uh, creation of the, of the link-up group, was people want to know where can they find a fellowship where they will not be ostracized or looked down their no- the nose um, be- because of their their post-millennial views are um, uh, are uh, <clears throat> are um, you know their their theonomy or, or their abolition work. Yeah, so, and and so they want to know, and and I, and I mean there is such a thing as people strategically locating when you really can sit now again not to not to not to fall into the local church first, uh, last and always movement, uh, you know, and the uh, ecclesiastical, the ecclesiocrats, not to fall into that, but, but I mean, it, there is, once you obviously are got personal, you know, self-government, biblical self-government and family government down, you know, the community, the people that you're going to go to war with is important. Uh, and... And so people do. I know when I was a young married man back in the early 80s, we relocated from Casper, Wyoming to St. Louis, Missouri for no other reason than we knew couples that were attending a fellowship there in St. Louis, and we had a relationship with them. And we thought, well, you know, it's ultimately, um, and I would say sphere sovereignty is, is great. But ultimately, when the rubber meets the road, people go to war. You know, they fight for the guys and the gal standing next to them. And you know, you know, relationships are essential. And uh, you know, you know, discipleship is is basically, you know, uh, relational and not just you know not just programmable. And uh, it's not, you know, a matter of putting a guy through so many memory verses and our Bible study on these topics, and we go out and do evangelism for four weeks, and then you get your you get your ribbon that you're a disciple. I mean, it's an ongoing relationship, relational accountability, and all that. So I, I do believe that the the familial ties that exist 
within a community of faith are obviously critical, and you and you men obviously do too. Uh, your friendship uh, that that it had begun several years earlier was probably in the providence of God was instrumental and fundamental to making this move even happen. Yeah, I mean, we have been the, the real benefit uh, is that we've already been meeting uh, for for quite a while uh, with the families that are here, and it's not like we all have uh, moved to one location and, and didn't know each other. Although, you know, that's what we were looking at when we didn't know if this was possible. But I think one of the main reasons why we were able to to get Jason to take a look at at this uh, plant in this area. Um, you know, when he had a comfortable job at a large church, you know, uh, as, as, as the, the teaching pastor at Rollwood, right. uh, is, is because there was already a, a vibrant uh, group here who was already sort of doing the work of, of, of pressing the, the crown rights of Christ in this, in this area. Well, you're, you're the, the type of people, I don't know by name every family that you're or individual that you're associated with, but but I, I'm I'm getting the impression that the goal is really every man and elder. Uh, the idea that it, it, you're, you're by being Christian reformed or, or reconstructionist, I mean you're 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 you don't you believe in obviously you're going to practice and not pay lip service to the priesthood of the believer. You already mentioned the right of private judgment. Um, are is this a uh, will this be this maybe maybe I'm giving away too much. I'm gonna I gotta ask you that I'd ask if I was looking into a fellowship. Uh, I presume it's not incorporated. Uh, yes, no. Correct. Correct. Um, family. Uh, well, it's, they call it family or covenantal baptism. Is it pedo baptism, pedo communion, or no? Yes. Both. <laughs> you want to take one, Jason? Or yeah. Well, no, listen. Uh, I, I'm excited. That's that that that. I mean, that being, you know, that's. I think a lot of people are 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 moving in that direction. It's 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 rather organic, but I think it just once they start thinking covenantally, it it. You know, I, I'm not really dismayed by the fact that Calvin or Knox or Spurgeon or uh, Chalmers didn't endorse it or talk about it because you know the holy spirit is sovereign in illumination and uh we don't believe in and we do believe and we believe not in continuing revelation but in continuing illumination and pressing on uh toward maturity and the upward call of god in christ jesus so uh, i mean while we build upon the apostles and prophets and the and we love and cherish the the historical creeds and confessions of Christendom uh, were onward and upward. And so it, it really is an adventure, not just merely a, a like a reenactment. You're not reenactors. You guys are explorers. Yep. So, yes. so, I mean, the uh, the actual statement that we have on our website, you can check it out and not read the whole thing, but... Yeah, yeah, give us the web, give us the uh, give us the address on your website. Just is it so? It's uh, it's cross and uh, sorry, it's crosscrownchurch.com. Okay. And there's an about section, and you can scroll down and, and find the distinctives there. The whole idea is, uh, you know, if you're a 
come come and join us. But uh, here's some of the distinctives that you're gonna, you know, that, and it's some of the teaching that that are gonna be apparent, and we want to be upfront about what those are. And uh, with what you said about, you know, baptism and and pedo baptism, basically our statement is due to our most ultimate unity in Christ, and because of our unity in so many areas of the faith. We will not refuse to commune or refuse to jointly pursue the Great Commission because of differences between the Credo Baptist and Pado Baptist positions or the Credo Communion or Pado Communion positions. Further, eligibility for the Station of Elder will not hinge on a particular position on this topic. This is not to say that these are not important issues or that these topics are something to be avoided. Further, in, all, in full humility and transparency, we affirm that it is true that one side of these positions is in error and is therefore sinful by either withholding baptism in the Lord's Supper where it should be administered or for administering baptism in the Lord's Supper where it should be withheld. The long-term vision is that the congregation and the universal Catholic Church as a whole would arrive at one position or the other, and we seek God's mercy and the Spirit's leading in pursuing greater and greater holiness and fidelity to his commands. In the meantime, we commit ourselves to winsomeness and charity in all discussions on these issues, this being grounded in the recognition that both sides are seeking to understand and obey the scriptures regardless of our tradition, we can jointly affirm that we are to yearn and pray for the regeneration of our children, dis- discipling our children in the faith, and looking for the fruit of authentic repentance. We jointly affirm that God continues to work by and through households in the new covenant, including children who are considered holy and set apart by virtue of their belonging to covenant family. Further, children in believing households who are being discipled in the faith and being taught to obey the gospel should be considered members of the congregation and members of the body of Christ unless and until a child apostatizes. Okay, that's enough on that. I mean, I think that was pretty comprehensive. Let me ask you, I'm going to change the topic, actually. <clears throat> been my uh, been my experience through the man and uh, who's been my closest elder for 30 years and his wife who definitely has the gift of hospitality understands the the power the uh, of the, the the power of the home as a weapon in extending the kingdom of god uh are you, you have been i presume uh, functioning as a home fellowship to some extent or no yes yes i mean they, jordan and, and a lot of it, you know the core group you might call them they have been functioning that way, and we anticipate that to continue once we get out there. Okay, so your 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 intent is not to have a Bellevue like. I don't know if you've ever been to Memphis, Tennessee, and seen Bellevue's campus, Bellevue Southern Baptist Church. It's got to be. It's probably 500 acre campus. So you're not your your plan is to basically be organic, lean, mean, not to incur debt over property and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> We don't. We're not interested in buying a building right now and making that the church. We want to emphasize the relationships of the fellowship. Asymmetrical warfare. Check. <laughs> what? What? What does? Uh, what does an abolitionist fellowship with an abolitionist pastor do and look like in a community where they practice child sacrifice and the vast majority? of 501c3 religion dispensaries are asleep at the wheel. What is your role? We we have to continue to be a prophetic witness. I mean, that's, you know, at the ground level, 
uh, our, our responsibility. If, if we are going to press Christ's crown rights into everything, then certainly child sacrifice is most notably the, the source of our blood guiltiness on multiple levels and, and the land is polluted and defiled because of it. So we want to, we want to be active in that, participating in, you know, evangelism and preaching the gospel and trying to rescue, um, babies who are being carried off to the slaughter. Now, now Jason, this is, you've presumably yeah. been doing some of this while you've been there in Michigan. Have you had any success or have you, I presume, I don't mean to presume anything. And I certainly don't mean to put you on the spot, but have you had any success at all in terms of reaching across the aisle using your uh, idea of professional courtesy uh, with other pastors, ministers in the area to dialogue with them or to gauge them uh, and, and spur them on to love and good works? Uh, obviously, the Church Repent uh, initiative uh, by abolitionists is one of the areas, one of their strategies that has brought down the greatest amount of of ire and has created the greatest controversy with with the local churches and uh people asking you know the typical question who are your elders where do you go to church uh is it your anticipation or have you experienced in the past that as a servant leader as the the pastor the teaching elder if you will uh of this fellowship that you it gives you ground to stand on and reach out to other pastors in the area uh and 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 and, and seek to uh enlist their effort as opposed to individual abolitionists going out in front of fellowships on Sunday morning with signs and and the police being called things like that which is you know it, I'm not I'm not I don't I'm not criticizing it but I believe uh, I believe that's where we start I believe that our strategy and to to reach out and involve other people obviously needs to mature and become more sophisticated or more at least more effective. I don't think that church repent. I think it's been more of a prophetic call of judgment against the church. I don't think it's been pr- tremendously effective in terms of enlisting people, uh, yeah. but I believe it needs to be. And I wonder how the role of uh, pastor can uh, can can work in that in that. Yeah, oh, well, you know I, what I'm asking, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm tracking. <laughs> well, in, in my experience here, uh, just me being out there, uh, ministering with men like Cal Zastro in Saginaw and right. One, One Life Churches in Flint, Michigan, and we've gone down there to minister with them. And, and really, <clears throat> their pastor, uh, Eric, is a good friend of mine, and we've been able to kind of kindle that relationship. And they have just taken off with their ministry there. They they actually sent a guy out full time to be at the mill every single day. So, um, so note, so note to the audience, and note to all uh, that when the when a pastor, when leadership actually goes out and leads from the front, it changes the entire dynamic of it. Yes, and when you when <laughs> we we are often fond of saying, you know, abortion will end in this nation when the churches repent, and that is true. But the caveat to that, perhaps a footnote, might also need to be when the pastors repent. Because what I found is me leading the way in that area, people will follow. They just will. And because they know it's wrong, but they don't want to do anything about it. Amen. 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 So I've had some pastors even locally here kind of ask me about that. And, you know, that, that seems quite, you know, controversial or that seems, 
And, and usually my tongue-in-cheek remark is, well, I prefer my way of doing it versus your way of not doing it. So, <laughs> uh, Now, you're already in Virginia now? Uh, we are going to be transitioning there in a week. So by the 1st of October, we'll be hitting the ground running. So you're in, well, you're in Pennsylvania, your in-laws right now? No, I'm actually in Michigan. Yeah. Okay. All right. And your, and your wife's family still is in the Hershey area? Yep. Yep. Still there. Yeah, there's a lot of good work up there. Now, let me ask you this question. The idea of affiliation, uh, I'm, that, that might be, seem a little bit, uh, premature. But obviously, you know Joel Saint and the folks up there at Reformation Bible Church and in Morgantown, and you presumably know uh, and love, as we do, uh, Paul Michael Raymond down there in Appomattox, and of course the the brothers down there in Richmond. Uh, uh, so, is there any top plans or preferences one way or the other? Or are you just saying, "Man, eh, we'll just see what God does," as far as affiliation. Well, I guess it's probably in between that. <laughs> we are we are saying, oh, all right, well, let's see what God does with this. But we've also wanted to kindle those relationships, especially being proximity-wise closer to Paul Michael Raymond, Joel Saint, and, and those guys. So, yeah, we want to we want to foster those relationships and keep that affiliation going. Uh, in December, we're going to be up to to uh, Joel's church and fellowship there, and. Um, so yeah, I, there isn't anything necessarily, you know, <laughs> in print yet, but but we want to keep those connections alive and well. Well, those are two those are two good men to have on your flanks, that's for sure. Yeah, but one of the things that we're interested in as, for the long term um, as well is also forming some kind of template so that others around the country or around the world who are in a similar boat as we all are in. Um, can see and look ahead to somebody and a group of, of believers who have already done this and and really leverage that um, for the experience, sort of the, the nitty-gritty details of, of, you know, tactically how to do it, strategy, those kinds of things, and so that this sort of thing can be replicated around the country. Right. Um, presumably, uh, you both, you gentlemen, have listened to and are read um, lectures by, you know, Bo or Stephen Perks, or you've listened to. I don't know if you've consulted with people like uh, like Paul, Michael Raymond, and our uh, Tim Yarborough. Yeah. Uh, I guess the yes, question is: is what are what are the sorts of I'd like to know two questions. Here's two questions. I'll give you a good while to answer them. Is what have been seminal works, uh, and by whom that have really, uh, served as sort of bellwethers to help you set your sail in terms of distinctives that you want this fellowship to embody by the grace of God? You know, has there been any particular works? I think of a few books that that are, are lectures or, that I've listened to on Reconstructionist Radio or read that, wow, I thought, wow, this really has got a lot to say about this. My, you know, my, my uh, um, interviews with, with, with Tim Yarbrough were very, I think, a lot of people felt that they were fun, foundational uh, in terms of how to uh, 
think locally and work locally uh, with orphans and widows and, and various different other ministries. What are the sorts of, what are some of the works and not some of the authors that have really influenced you gentlemen in that, maybe even name particular uh, books or, or articles that you'd want to refer to and recommend? And what are some of the, with that in mind, what are some of the activities or what are some of the distinctives that you see Christian families working cooperatively toward that are normally in American culture are very individualistic atomic family functions, whether, you know, I don't, you know, uh, the question is, is Christianity as a, as a social order, uh, where, you know, uh, what are some of the daily or mundane activities of life that you see or that you have ideas or, or visions of how you'd like to see family member families working together to achieve common goals uh and 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 what are some of the things that have, have influenced you as you thought through and planned this strategy this uh this church plan well yeah uh, Jake, Go ahead, Jordan. I, I think that first question um you know we've been talking uh with with uh paul mike raymond with with Joel Saint, uh, with with Tim Yarbrough, and all those brothers have uh, a tremendous amount of experience and a tremendous amount of perspective and advice. And I think we've definitely combined with sort of what our convictions are, you know, incorporated, um, you know, different things from from those different from those men and, and those ministries. And so, um, I would point to also an article that Bojar Marinoff did um, individual purpose in the kingdom of God. And this is, for me personally, I'm not even sure um, to what extent Jason's aware of this, but that was, going back earlier, one of the fundamental um, motivations for me is understanding how the, the, uh, the purpose of each individual is not only tied up in the, the group or the many, but there's also the aspect of the individual and the one. And so within a group organism, each individual has their own purpose within that kingdom. That means mothers and children and fathers all, all together working together as a unit, but then all individually having their, their God-ordained purpose as well. Um, I think a lot of times in Reconstructionist circles, or, or really any circle, you have a dynamic where you have the, the many, the, the family and even the church all together, but then if the children don't have their own um, if the children don't have their own clear individual purpose within that uh, that structure, then they can fall by the wayside. And so we want to keep everybody on board through this. We want to do things together on a regular basis, like you were talking about, Bill, in the in the uh, the uh, even in the mundane details or the, in the day-to-day details. And that could take uh, a lot of different forms. It could be uh, you know, the men meeting together, seeking how we can better serve our wives, the women doing the same, vice versa, um, you know, bringing along the children for the work that we're doing and seeking to help them find their purpose in, in God's kingdom, um, including in, uh, you know, abolitionism, um, in, in homeschooling or, or, or co-ops or what have you. So that's, that's definitely a big part of that, I'd say. There's 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 a real there's a real distinction a clear distinction that needs to be made between using the terms one and the many and the individual and the collective. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between many and being a collective and the value and the value of the individual 
the value of the one is not what he brings or, or the value he brings to the collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is his own gifts and abilities. And, and I remember Bojidar talking about his children and, ta- and said the most important thing to give your child is a future. Mm-hmm. And he said, and, 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 and instilling them the vision that somewhere out there there's a hundred, there's ten or a hundred or a thousand acres that God has put your name on. And your, and your goal is to find it and cultivate it and make it a garden. Amen. And so that's the, that's the dominion mandate. Uh, the, so, uh, so Bojadar, uh, here, let me ask you this question because this is, this would concern me living in the Northeast where you're located, especially, uh, with Washington and Langley and Mount Weathers, which of course, unless you, in case you don't know, Mount Weathers is a huge CIA underground complex just south of y'all. Uh, there, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of underground military installations up there. Anyway, bottom line is, it's not a place where you would ordinarily expect preppers or people who are concerned about whatever doomsday scenario, uh, EMP, you know, nuclear strike, you know, whatever, uh, uh, end of life as we know it, uh, event. But but the question, and I've been we've been talking about this on the war room with Joe, Joe and I a little bit, in that you both obviously do believe that we are a nation under judgment. Yeah. Yep. It's not that we we're just we're just dreading the judgment of God. We are under the judgment of God, and the apathy of God's people is an indication of judgment, as well as the lunacy uh, and the madness of. Wicked civil rulers. Calvin says, "When God judges the nation, He gives them wicked rulers." So, you know, are, are, we are already in judgment, and the question is: is <clears throat> of course we're post millennial, so we think that things have a a a, a fruitful outcome. <laughs> the question is: Are we going to be a part of that? Or is or is there judgment? Or is there an outpouring? Are greater times of hardship and woe and travail awaiting America and as people that are stuck on that ship, we're on the Titanic. What is our how how shall we then live? In other words, uh I said a couple of worms ago, you know, Francis Schaefer asked the question, you know, forty five years ago, how shall we then live? And the church said, eh, basically the same way we always have. <laughs> yeah. And and then abolitionists began asking the question, what does it look like to be a Christian in a nation that practice child sacrifice. I think we're ready to move on to the next question in our lightning round is, what does it look like to be a Christian in a, in a nation under God's judgment? And so the question is, is how can you take steps that in the event that uh, uh, things get hairy, that you are positioned and uh, capable, equipped to support one another, and to exercise discretionary uh, acts of kindness and charity to your neighbors. Uh, in other words, you know, you're you're building a house on the edge of the San Andreas Fault, you know, so to speak. So I don't I don't know if you know this, but we have an escape path directly to your secret underground lair. <laughs> and Robert and Robert Hoyle out there in Richmond, we we're coming for you, buddy. In the apocalypse, yeah. 
Well, Hoyle's probably set up pretty good in, in that in that event, but but no, I'm, I'm being I'm being absolutely serious because right, it's right. not just a it's not just you know listen let's face it, uh, people that are living in Florida and people that are living in Houston, uh, you know they, they you know we obviously know we none of, none of us know what tomorrow may bring and all the all the all everything can change very rapidly and so the the issue is is that as being overcomers. Not people who are pietistically hunkered in our bunker, uh, in our in our holy huddle, but people who are uh, prepared. You know, uh, Psalm 12, who have no fear of the future. Their heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. You've uh, you're the righteous man, seeing trouble and hiding himself from it, in the sense of he basically makes the requisite preparations. Obviously, we always depend on the providence of God. You can do everything right, and still God can take you. Uh, but the point is, is that in order to weather the, the the storm and come out on the other side together and 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 prepared to to continue to press on and and to take dominion, and obviously that doesn't happen by accident. So I guess my question is: is how much of your all's thinking has has incorporated any of this mindset? And if you say no, none really, uh, we you know that I'll, I'll accept that and we'll move on. But I just wonder. Well, I think I think Bill that that question is answered when we start with because even if it's you know some sort of uh, you know Sodom and Gomorrah type event or whatever you know that if we answer the question at the outset I think that that you know that goes away and what I mean is this part of what and Bojidar has written about this and it's very good and I've been teasing it out and you know in my own thinking and and study. Um, but what we're what we want to do is create that alternative culture, so that even living in a nation under judgment. I'll give you an example. What one thing I was thinking about was the evangelical, you know, your average ostensible evangelical basically latched on to Trump, right? And so we're so far down the road of having a lack of repentance that that we are. Yeah. You know, we don't even see that. And so I think if we can create, I mean, just I'm speaking for Cross and Crown, our fellowship, it, it, we want to create that alternative culture to what's happening around us. So Jordan calls me and says, hey, I need help landscaping. Great, let's go. Let's all go help. Let's fellowship. Let's cook out. Let's live differently and cultivate these things in such a way that, heaven forbid, some sort of major catastrophe hits, you know, the entire U.S., whatever that is, um, we will be able to rise up out of the ashes and say, well, here's a different way to live. Yeah, what I'm suggesting is that fellowships, bodies of believers, communities of faith, need to have a list of, of, of essential tools and things that say, you know what, we need to have these in our fellowship. Just in case. Yeah someone has a need, we can respond to that need. It may not be a, a catastrophe, a, a, a global meltdown, but it may be a fire or a flood or something local or a storm or power outage or whatever. It says, you know, uh, we need to have a storehouse of, of, uh, of uh, freeze-dried food. We need to have a couple thousand gallons of fresh water. We need to have a generator. We need to have people and men in the, in the community that are trained in self-defense. That is a part of covenantal faithfulness. You know, we're told that if any man does not provide for the needs of his household, he's worse than an unbeliever. You can't plan for every exigency. But what I'm suggesting is that with a 
with a, a community of believers, uh, there really shouldn't be a fellowship caught flat-footed uh, in, a, in a crisis situation, whether it, that crisis involves their city or whether it just involves one of the families in the fellowship. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm speaking for Jason, but I think that is a, an important aspect. And, uh, you know, if you look at our plant, we're sort of like uh, uh, like nine months pregnant. We haven't even given birth yet to the, to the plant. Um, so, but once right. we get going, I think, I think that, you know, those sorts of things, which are completely irrelevant for many folks uh, in their thinking, uh, definitely should be. Uh, if we're if we're to be faithful and, and and you know prepare for those types of scenarios, should be something that we are all working towards together. Um, because you, can't, you you cannot address every exigency like you said, especially not with one family who's interested in that sort of thing in the community. It has to be you know the body working together, and that's I think part of the design, right? So I think that yeah. is definitely something to, to work towards. You're in a, low, in a heavily populated area, you know, high educational levels, a lot of, you know, well-paid professionals. It's not the Smoky Mountains. But but nevertheless, in a sense, you are sort of like pioneers. Presume you, you were talking about Bojar and social order. Uh, are you thinking in reference to his uh, his address there at the Future of Christmas Conference? I know I, I saw you both there. I think uh, Jason had to bug out, but he's probably subsequently listened to that. And I thought that was good. Have you listened to Bose? Uh, Christendom restored his uh, lecture on missions to the big city. Yeah, he has another form. Yeah, I've read. I've read both. Yeah, yeah. Those. I thought those were. I thought he had a lot of. He hit a lot of good points on that one. So, well, uh, any anything uh, you guys would like to, uh, you, you gentlemen would like to, to touch on or or, or uh, say before we. We bug out of here. Yeah, I'll say I'll say a couple things. One, uh, we appreciate the prayer and the support as we go forward with this. Uh, you can go to crosscrownchurch.com. You can see some of the things there. Uh, you can give to that work. Uh, there's a link there. And most importantly, uh, our listeners should move there. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want to join in on this work, uh, let's let's do it. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 pretty well networked here, and we can help with. Uh, there's plenty of jobs. It's the one positive about this area. Plenty of of great jobs, and we can help in that regard. And also opportunities for entrepreneurs. Um, so there's there's a lot of of opportunities there. And on the website, we're going to have uh, not only a sort of a, a one-time Yes, but we're really looking to, for folks to partner with us on a, on a regular basis. So whether that's even just a you know a ten dollar a month thing or, or you know up to a hundred or more a month, uh, we're looking for partnership with with many of you and and hopefully again this will serve as a template where we can sort of uh, replicate these all around the country and and none of them is going to be exactly the same. But but the goal is we want to leverage experience and perspective and and try to empower other folks who are right now sort of Lone Rangers or or um, aren't quite sure what the next step is and we can we can help and, and assist you by by God's by God's grace. Well yeah a template will be probably in the short term will be one of the most helpful things that you can pass on to other people and and because I know that there are a few other works and it and it does appear you know uh, listen it's uh, 
Jason, you know good and well as I do that uh, Kratos become Paytos, Paytos don't become Kratos. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let, let's say all of Jordan's all of Jordan's heroes are Presbyterian. <laughs> it's like when you're optimistic Amel, right? Well, I'm, on, I'm optimistic Amel. Well, that's just the holding tank for when you get over to the post mill funhouse. Uh, I'm, I'm still I'm still hanging on to Jeff Durbin. He's one of my Baptist heroes. <laughs> well, listen, we we love Jeff and we pray for him. We just wish he would uh, uh, reach across the aisle and and uh, and and get over some of this uh, intramural squabbling that's going on, and that we'd all pull on the same rope. Uh, you've probably been following some of the drama on Facebook. Of course, that's what Facebook is for: is drama. And uh, <laughs> and I've got I kind of got George Grant. Uh, involved who is by the way Jeff Durbin's hero so <laughs> and so, well, yeah, so yeah, we're all for unity in, in the media. yeah we love, we love being really guys yeah yeah, Absolutely. I, yeah I, I've been I, out to see Jeff Durbin a couple of times you know chatted with them I, I love Apology I love what they're doing and uh, we, we are in the same fight for sure yeah I've been out there too and I love him and uh, and uh, you know and love is the fulfillment of the law it's not Amen. it's not just it's not just a warm fuzzy. Yeah. Uh and so listen, we I appreciate you guys getting on here together. I think it was fitting that you both were on here together. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to get the music slapped onto this baby and we'll get it up for tomorrow, but if not, uh uh I think a lot of people will be following you all and give us the website again just so everybody can check it out. And if you're not friends with Jordan Wilson and Jason Garwood, why not? www.crosscrownchurch.com. All right, amen. Sometimes I'm in an area a lot. Sometimes I have I haven't been up in the Northeast now in several months, and so I've got a long list of people who say, "Wait, well, hey, next time you come up through here, you know." And uh, why? Well, I think they want to see Ruger. Is what it is. They want to meet Ruger. <laughs> but uh, I look forward to, to seeing you guys up there and. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about, really, really briefly before we go, and that's just, and I, I won't, won't, I won't open up a new, another bottle, but it's just the idea of there are so many people, and I think this is part of a, of the Reformed and Presbyterian regular principle of worship. Their whole concept of, the, you know, it's very, very vertical. The idea that we get together is, is like this temple model, that we get together. And God has ordained that we come together and we do these certain things. We pray these hymns. We sing these hymns. We pray these prayers. We pass the plate. We listen to the word. We get up. We, you know, we shake hands. We do these things. We break bread and it's a morsel. By the way, are both you fans of Stephen Perks? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Christian Passover, Agape Feast of Ritual Abuse, I recommend it to everyone, as well as Common Law Wives and Concubines. Outstanding book, goofy title, but great book. Uh, a, a lot to, to me, it, it, it really sort of points to a, a very organic approach to being the people of God, as opposed to a corporate or institutional approach. The centrality of fellowship meals as sacraments. But you know, the point is, is that in a lot of the Christian Reconstruction circles, I mean, we've got good friends in Hanover and Covenant Presbyterian Church, and some of them have 
have, da- have played around with federal vision or high churchism or liturgy. Others, if it's not so- exclusive psalmody or if it's not the, the Trinity hymnal, don't bother with it. I love to worship with my brothers. I love it when the word is faithfully proclaimed and when I'm hearing things that, that are provoking me and, and the singing of hymns. I love the Trinity hymnal. And I, I, to me, if the hymn was written after 1800, it's probably not worth singing. But but I do really believe that there's an overemphasis on the fact that God is somehow uh, sitting in his throne and that he is receiving worship by virtue of the things that we're doing as part of our liturgy as opposed to receiving worship and praise by way of the of, of the enemies that we're crushing and the dominion and the ground we're taking and the way we're helping and loving one another through the week. So I think that there's an overemphasis sometime. Maybe you can't overemphasize vertical worship. Maybe it's, maybe that's kind of a stupid statement. You can't overemphasize the importance of worshiping the triune God in 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 in, in, in spirit and truth. But I think there's an underemphasis that there is a horizontal component to worship that is underemphasized. Would you both agree? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, especially when you think about our our individual purpose and work and calling. It it can't just be the only thing. It's important. It's supremely important, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. So we're talking about the synagogue model in a sense, that that the community of faith is basically there to exist as a social order. Sounds like you guys are dialed in on that vision. And, it, and it's still a work. It's still a work in progress. You see, but dimly. But and God has not shown you every step of the journey. You're, this is a faith walk, isn't it? You guys are doing this by faith. No doubt. Yeah, All right. I feel like I feel like Abraham. <laughs> That's probably how you should feel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, brothers. I, I appreciate you both. I know our listeners do. And uh, so, Godspeed. Uh, as Scott Buss likes to say, swing for the fences, and uh, we'll talk to you later. And, folks, thank you for joining us in the War Room. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people?